Let's read God's Word together, uh, Nehemiah 7, verses 1 to 5. And Lord, um, there's something incredible about the treasure of your Word that we have really neglected to understand, particularly in our generation where we've just always had access to your Word in our part of the world. But Lord, we know that's not the case for everybody in our world, even in our generation, certainly was not the case in generations before us. Many people paid such a great price, many with their very life, that we might have access to this tremendous treasure of your word that helps us understand your nature and unlocks the atmosphere of your kingdom, even within our hearts, within our families, with our lives, our legacy. So as we read your word, Lord, would you help us to understand on a deeper level the value of what's transacting between heaven and earth through the Holy Writ of Scripture, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 7. After the wall had been rebuilt, this progression is taking place, the wall has been rebuilt. This is like worthy of celebration. The wall was in ruins, and now it's been rebuilt. I had set the doors in place. Now notice the different categories of individually skilled people. This chapter, part of what we won't read is all the names of the 50,000 people uh, that arranged by ancestry and so forth. But here, these categories are expressed right here. I'd set the doors in place and the gatekeepers, they had a job. The musicians, they had a job. And the Levites, they had a job. All were different jobs. All were equally important in the sight of the Lord our God. Gatekeepers, musicians, and Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity. A lot of people want to be in a place of leadership because they just want to be in a place of leadership, <laughs> not because they really want to walk in the character of God and help others to experience that. <clears throat> and what, uh, in fact, Tracy and I were kind of laughing about this comment that we heard recently. Like many times people that God chooses for leadership are the people who don't want to be in leadership. Isn't it funny? He goes to the backside of the mountain to find a shepherd boy uh, that's neglected and abandoned and not, nobody's paying any attention. He says, you know what? I'm going to use you as a king. And he's like, many times God is going to use you in ways you do not think you can be used and that actually qualifies you to depend on him and be more fully reliant upon him because you know it can't be you. This is very much the case of what uh, Tracy and I have experienced in the call of God on our lives. I mean, there are things that the Lord has asked us to do and we're just like, no, we don't do that. Pastoring this church, one of those things. <clears throat> we don't do that. He does. And I think that's kind of the point. We're learning to walk more as he is leading the charge. So here we, we, these leaders were qualified because they were filled with integrity. And uh, continuing in that verse 2, and they feared God. This is that essence of the fear of God, the awe-filled awakening of the human heart to the goodness and the amazing, exhausting uh, love of the Father. They feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. 
also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. What we're hearing here are systems and procedures. Things are now put back together and they're anticipating continued growth. Anytime we experience growth, there were 71 people who said they wanted us to be the pastor of the church uh, when we became the pastor of the church. We now have 71 kids in kids' ministry on any given uh, Sunday. Things are not the same way it was then as it is now. We have to learn through, through the process of growth and development. In all of our lives, there just becomes a different set of systems and procedures. If you were married and then you had a child, it became a different set of systems and procedures. If you were married and some of you had like 11 ch children, then lots of different procedures. So that's what we're hearing is this is preparation for where they're going. Verse 4, now the city was large and spacious, and there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. This is such an important piece in this chapter. When I read this, the Lord kept bringing it to me over and over. Verse 5, so God put it into my heart. I'm going to ask you today to consider when we conclude, what is God placing in your heart? Because we're, we're going to find these different people who were assigned different assignments according to their different giftedness that existed within them. So you're not supposed to do what other people do. You're supposed to do what God designed you to do. So what's God placed in your heart? And how are you doing that in the name of the pursuit of an eternal expression in your temporal life? So God, verse 5, put in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families, I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. We'll pause there. Um, this is taking place, what we're reading is 445 B.C. This is about 30 years after everything had unfolded with Queen Esther that we read about this amazing story. Uh, Esther actually was responsible for the first return of the exiles. Nehemiah, what we're reading about, is the third return of the exiles. So this all happened in these decades. Uh, when you read the Bible, you, you, I don't know if you understand, but the Bible is actually not written in chronological order. You can read the chronological Bible, and I would recommend it. Um, it's amazing if you get a chronological Bible just to read, and you're reading where David is experiencing something out of the, you know, Samuel, First uh, Samuel, and it's talking about his life and where he is and what he's experiencing, and then it just chops right into it, a psalm that he wrote while having that experience. And if you don't understand that then, you're later reading the book of Psalms, not necessarily putting it together, that when he's thirsting in this parched desert in a dry and weary land where there is no water, my soul thirsts for you. He was, on, he was fearing for his life and on the run when he was riding that in this particular desert region. So you start to see the chronological progression. It helps you to understand some of what's taking place. Well, the book of Esther it comes after Nehemiah, but the story of Esther happened before him. So she led the first, you know, uh, what all took place and, and God giving her favor and uh, the return of those exiles, the first return. And then Ezra led the second return and on his heels now Nehemiah is leading the third. Ezra and Nehemiah functioning and partnering together, uniquely different gifted people, but God is at work reestablishing Israel in amazing and wonderful ways. So in this chapter, we're reading about these different people with different gifts. Um, 
You know, I, I say often, how many of you, you don't want to be front and center. You'd rather work behind the scenes. You're not, you know, just out there. I mean, just raise your hand if you're a little more of that aspect. Not necessarily in that, you know. And, and then, like, you don't mind being up front and center. You're more, you know, maybe extroverted in your expression. Raise your hand if that's you. And even the way we raise our hands with those two gifts is different. Because when I'm talking about you prefer not to be behind the scenes, you know, you prefer to be behind the scenes, and I say raise your hand, and people, you know, they kind of go like that. And I say, but how many of you, you know, more of a public expression, you're like, you know, like, even the way you raise your hand is different. And nobody's right, nobody's wrong. You just are needing to learn your uniquely gifted existence that actually was given to you by God. The spirit of comparison is paralyzing the church today. The Bible says very clearly, those who compare themselves by themselves are not wise. We're not walking in the wisdom of God when we start looking at somebody else. I just want to say to you, you be you. We love you and want you to be you. We don't want you to try and be somebody else. We want you to be you. But you've got to figure out who God designed you to be in order for you to be that you. <laughs> A lot of times we're trying to be who other people want us to be. Sometimes we're trying to be who we think we ought to be. But you just need to relax and learn to be who God designed you to be. This is, that's a rich stream we just kind of tapped into, isn't it? Sometimes you can, uh, you just, in a gathering like this, and again, I'm just, I'm growing and trying to learn in this, but sometimes in a, a moment of that interaction together over the Word and what the Lord's revealing, you just sense, man, we just dug into a, a, a deep well. And so, Lord, just that well of identity that exists beneath us all, that when we've chosen to live shallow lives, we never discover the deeper well of the identity that you desire for us to explore. So deliver us from that, Lord. Deliver us in a, a day where selfies and all kinds of social media expression, we feel all this pressure to perform and become and May we just learn what it is to rest in you. And in that rest, our roots begin to grow deep and we discover a deeper sense of reality, of identity, of who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see is this list of like 50,000 people. And they're listed you know, in groups of dissent and gifted assignments. And so I just kind of looked at the different assignments and realized you've got priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, like different people who were assigned to do different things. Everybody was assigned to do something. Let me encourage you, you have an assignment from God. I'm going to make a really strong statement to you. I've had some people say they didn't like this statement before. Um, because they make it, they, they, they said, you know, sounds like it's about works. But it's a true statement, like it or not. <laughs> there was something God wanted done that actually makes you necessary. You are not an accident. You are actually an assignment from heaven. And before he ever formed you in the womb, he knew you and planned for you to arrive when and where you arrived with an assignment from heaven that is chasing you. <laughs> so my question as we celebrate the reality that we all have an assignment from God 
is are you fulfilling your God-given assignment from him? Are you walking in that? And it's a journey and it's a process and we're all on a journey just trying to find our way and nobody has figured this out. Where I am in my assignment today is so different than where I was in my assignment a year ago and I'm not really doing much different stuff. I'm just doing it from a different place. And so we're exploring and growing and learning what this really looks like for all of us. But, you know, when you look at these individuals, we see the Levites, and, and just give you a couple of ideas of how this breaks down. Levites would have been kind of like staff or pastors or ministry leaders. They would be praying for people. They would be teaching. Uh, there would be other pastoral ministry. That, that, was, that would be their primary role. And then these gatekeepers, uh, their primary ministry would not be taking place within the gathering. Uh, their primary ministry was uh, a, an entirely different approach than the Levites would have been, but they would have been ministering to people in their home where they lived. They had a protective order about what God had assigned them to do. It was all about the, the kingdom of God being expressed in the world in which was being entrusted to their care in their generation. Then there are singers, and they're mentioned 18 times. So there's a lot of emphasis and attention on the band and the worship leaders. And, and you know, this is a specialized work where what they would primarily do is, is lead God's people in worshiping God in the temple. How many of you believe worship is really important? Like it's incredibly significant. Our worship, the reason we, we take uh, and we're learning to grow in more than just you know, coming through the song set is because actually when we're declaring something to a thousand years from now in a song together in a, a unified disposition as a church, we're actually impacting ten generations beyond us that we can never understand or comprehend. But you have that kind of authority in the Lord. God wants to awaken that within us. And so our worship, it sets the order for this time. Like I, I'm, I didn't want to say this, but I felt like during worship, uh, I just felt the Lord was just revealing to me there's so much demonic activity this morning that was taking place. The reason I don't want to say it, because that just takes us to a heavy conversation now. Uh, but... You do realize the first time Jesus ever cast a demon out of somebody, it was actually in church? Just because we're gathering together as God's family doesn't mean there's not demonic activity that the enemy's trying to penetrate. Like, that's the place he wants to try to penetrate. And so you come into a room like this, and we begin to worship, and you find yourself being distracted. Sometimes that distracted disposition is actually demonic, and you just need to out loud say, get behind me, Satan, in Jesus' mighty name. My heart is fully devoted to the Lord my God. I'm going to worship with everything that I am. If you ever find yourself in a place of worship saying, I just don't feel like lifting my hands, lift your hands twice as high as you've ever lifted them before. That is not from God that wants to hinder that moment. And I just, in my mind, I kept wrestling with, you know, this sense of, of uh, intellectual distraction uh, from the things that I knew the Lord was wanting to focus on this morning. And I just began to bind the enemy and declare the blood of Jesus over this room, over every one of our minds. I began to speak that over the, every household uh, that's with us online this morning, every family member, every single one of us, not just us, but the next generation and the generation after that. You and I actually have this kind of weight and authority in the spirit realm. It's just so far beyond our wildest imagination. If we just learn to cooperate with the Lord, so much begins to take place. 
So all these different people doing different things, and I want you to really hear this because I'm going to speak to something that's very modern-day frustration, truly a demonic attack in, in the, the church world that you and I live in today. All these different people doing different things were assigned in a very orderly fashion. They were organized into certain expressions as preparation for growth and development. How many of you know there has to be a sense of order in the body? That It's just a normal part. Your body is doing certain orderly things in its systems and in its organs. And so this is just normal in the body of Christ. There needs to be a certain measure of order, a certain measure of organization. I'm just so glad... Nehemiah and all these people, first before I say the statement, you do realize you and I are actually benefiting from the work they did. This is huge. We're going to really dive into this as much time as we have with it today. But we are benefiting from the work they did in that hour. I'm so glad they didn't just say, well, I'm just not into organized religion. I, I mean, if you're, you know, you say, and... If, if people just say, you know, forget it, I'm, I'm out of this, I'm just going to go seek Jesus by myself, me and just a few friends maybe. The problem is if God begins to bless that, you become a church. And the very thing you left, you become. And the very thing you accused comes back on you because what you sow, you grow. And so we might as well just give in and learn to love and recognize the church is imperfect. The church is going to love you with an imperfect love. Hear me loud and clear. The church is going to love you with an imperfect love. Jesus is going to love you with a perfect love, but we're not. We're going to try, but we can't. We're not always going to get it right. And that actually is you then having the opportunity to experience and express love because you don't have to be patient or kind unless there's something that's frustrating you in a moment in time. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's easy to love if I'm on an island by myself. But then I get around somebody who frustrates me. They slow me down in traffic. They take my chair at church. They, they, I mean, we, we, we were in a, a worship, <laughs> worship set this last week, and the guy behind us, he was so annoying. <laughs> I mean, he laughed louder than any human being on the planet in the history of the world has ever been able to laugh. I'm sure of it. He was right behind me. And anytime something was said that was funny, after worship we sat down and they were speaking, he was laughing so loud, I don't even have hair. My hair was parting in the back. I'm, it was, it was and, and I remember just sitting there. At first I was just like, security, can somebody? And then I just realized, like, where's my attitude? That situation was a great opportunity for me to explore the sacrificial nature of Christ for me. Instead, I sat there, you know, frustrated, and, and there's no need. I, and I, I then started giving thanks for the fact that this person loved Jesus so much. You understand? It's, it's about your attitude, <laughs> So the body of Christ is imperfect. Some of us this morning had opportunities to, to be loving, even when somebody wasn't necessarily loving to us. Though our church family, we have lots of people that say the main thing they experience when they come here is just this embrace, this warmth, and I'm so thankful for that. 
Uh, I joked about before, I did have one guy say, man, your church is so loving, but I was in the men's room standing at the stall and somebody came, in, and somebody came to the, the urinal next to me and started greeting me. And he's just like, that's a little over the top. <laughs> so go easy. <laughs> God's family. Wait, wait, wait. What, before we get to that statement, what comes to mind when I say family? How many of you in this room, some of you have heard me say this before, how many in this room have an embarrassing family member? Just raise your hand. <laughs> Look around. No, you don't have to point. <laughs> that is not very nice, Tracy. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you noticed, but like, not everybody raised their hand. So one more time, if you have an embarrassing family member, go ahead and raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you might be the embarrassing family member. <laughs> family. I mean, you think about family. So let's think about that in terms of God's family. God's family is a family of forgiven, dysfunctional, imperfect people. That's who we are. But we're loved by God. And we invite you to come be a part of this dysfunctional, imperfect, forgiven people. And we grow together in our understanding of Him. So some people are looking for the, you know, the right church. If I could just find the right church, I really be, you know, whoo, yeah. How many of you know great advice to singles is stop trying to find the perfect mate? Just learn to be the best version that God's designed you to be. The, a great advice for church shoppers is stop trying to find the perfect church. Just step in, become who God's called you to be. Because you cannot serve the eternal purposes of God alone. You can't do it by yourself. It's not good for man to be alone. And we need to grow and sharpen each other in our walk, in our relationship with the Lord. So, because he's a generational God, one generation can't contain what God desires to reveal. It's beautiful, isn't it? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That means the family of God has Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob representatives. We have mothers and fathers in the faith. We have brothers and sisters in the faith. We have sons and daughters in the faith. And we're all in this progression of learning where that is and how to walk that out, how to navigate relationally with each other. And that's what was taking place in Nehemiah's day. They were preparing for the coming of Christ. This, this blew me away. I was just in prayer over all of this, and the Lord began to speak this to me. I actually had to research it to make sure it was right before I got up here to say it. But this is mind-boggling. Just a few hundred years, you know, centuries before Jesus was coming, God put it in Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the walls, hang the gates. And all these gates that the Bible talks about in the book of Nehemiah were being restored. God's restoring the church of our generation right now, and this is great alignment, alignment to this. And as they were preparing for the coming of Christ, and they were into organizing efforts to prepare for the coming of Christ, we are preparing for the second coming of Christ. Very aligning. 
This blew me away, though. I started looking at the East Gate and the restoration of the East Gate and the book of Nehemiah, and I realized that the Mount of Olives actually is the straightest view to the temple through the East Gate. And I started kind of evaluating some of this, and let me walk you through a little bit of what, what I realized. Because as they were preparing the East Gate, they didn't realize that was the very gate Jesus was going to show up riding on a donkey coming through that particular gate. It's called Gate Beautiful. It's got a few different names, that particular gate. All of it points to Jesus, and all of it speaks of Jesus. That's where Jesus showed up at this east gate riding a donkey on this Palm Sunday, and, and literally God is announcing who he is as his son to the world at the east gate. And then I started realizing they were working to prepare for the announcement of Jesus coming. We are working to prepare for the announcement of Jesus' second coming. And I started just thinking, Lord, what, what does the East Gate have to do with this? Zechariah 14 actually prophesies that when Jesus returns, he will stand on the Mount of Olives, looking through the east gate to see the temple. Where Jesus was revealed the first time is where Jesus will be revealed the second time. <laughs> and I was blown away. I saw this news report that a hotel, what a cool idea to actually build a hotel on the Mount of Olives. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? But the reason they couldn't, they were denied the right to build their hotel on the top of the Mount of Olives it's because there is an earthquake fault line that runs east and west on the Mount of Olives. And that portion of Scripture that says Jesus is going to come back and stand on the Mount of Olives, it actually says that the mountain is going to divide in two. It actually says the mountain is going to move north and south, creating an east-west ravine. Guess which direction the fault line is that they now know exists. Exactly what the Bible prophesies and predicts. Seismologists have confirmed that's what's going on. That's why you can't build a hotel there. This, this is kind of wild because then I started looking at Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12, and it gives this prophecy, water will flow from under the temple toward the east. This is speaking of like the prophecy of that which is to come and living water. I'm not sure how all this is going to work, but it's going to go toward the east where it enters into the Dead Sea. Do you know why water can't flow to the east out of the temple now to get to the Dead Sea? Because the Mount of Olives is between the temple and the Dead Sea. But if the Mount of Olives were to create a ravine by dividing apart, then the temple would have direct access to the Dead Sea. I'm not sure if you're getting excited like I was. When I started realizing, I was like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. It says this, that the, it'll move toward the east, the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there will become fresh. Where the river flows, everything will live. The fish will be of many kinds. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food. Their leaves for healing. You understand God's design of the Garden of Eden will one day be restored and replenished 
vanished into the earth where you and I will experience something far beyond our wildest imagination. And even that Zechariah chapter 14 that says Jesus will stand on the mountain, it goes on in verse 8 and it says, On that day life-giving waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea, half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. This is wild. They were doing a great work in preparation for the coming of Christ. We are doing a great work in preparation for the second coming of Christ. This stuff is going to come to pass. And you and I, we have a role to serve in bringing this to pass. There, we have to do the work. God has assigned us. Not everybody's a Levite. Not everybody's a singer. Not everybody does the same thing. But everybody has an assignment. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has an anointing. Everybody has a call. You are called by God. Would you say out loud, I am called by God. You need to understand that. Some people say, oh, well, he's called, she's called, I'm not called. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You are called by God, you are gifted by God, you are anointed by God, you're a son and daughter of God. God has called you to the work of the Lord and the earth. Rise up and do what God has put in your heart to do. All these people, this, it lists all these people and their various expressions of how they serve sacrificially. And it was all, a devo, uh, all the result of absolute devotion and generosity. Sacrificial devotion. Sacrificial devotion. They didn't do what they did haphazardly. They did what they did sacrificially. So my question out of that Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 5, God put it in my heart. What's God putting in your heart? I'm going to ask if the worship team will come. Again, sometimes I say things and it's a little bit, um, kind of have to pick up the pieces. But this is just so important that you understand. Jesus didn't die so we could merely go to church. Jesus did not die so we could merely go to church. We want to gather as the church to gain a deeper reality and revelation of who we are so that we might go be the church. You can't go to church because you are the church. We gather as the church to go be the church everywhere we go. And here's the statement that I just, it's just so, such a painful reality. But some people here just need to let this land on you. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, the one who walked with Jesus, betrayed him with a kiss. Judas Iscariot is proof. You can sit in a dynamic church with an amazing pastor and still become a friend of the devil if your heart isn't where it needs to be. 
I'm glad you're here. I love the church. I want to do everything I can to serve the church. But I'm just telling you, attending church services is not your highest call. I mean, it's, in, in a day of empire building where people are working hard to build their church, they're not saying that. Because they want you to feel this sense of we've got to get there. And, and the truth is the Bible says do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But I'm never, ever going to give myself again in any way to any manipulative tactic to get people to gather into a room because that's not going to make disciples. There's a deeper place of maturity God wants us to grow into and understand. Forsake not the assembly means we're recognizing there's something that happens when we gather together in our worship that affects 10 generations after me that just simply wouldn't have that impact if I didn't come together with the body of Christ, the family of God, release the work of God in the earth. The work God has called us to is a work that is preparation, not for the coming of Christ as he's already come, but for the second coming of Christ. And we have great work to do. We can't be haphazard about it. We have to be sacrificial. This, this involves every aspect of your life. But this is part of why giving is a part of your worship. It's a beautiful thing. I know we tend to, you know, be in a time where it's hard to kind of bring it up because people already feel like if you're in a church, you're after something. And I'm just telling you, it's just giving has always been a part of worship, always has been. It's part of God's plan. Every time I increase, I just honor the Lord with my giving. And what happens, it's a beautiful expression. The kingdom of God expands as a result. We're able to do things like uh, a lunch, marriage luncheon today, just to invest in families and invite people to give in order to make all that happen. Isn't that beautiful? It's just such a great reality. Come on, let's just stand together. <laughs> I, uh, I see they popped that up. I... I did have somebody last week ask, we want to, I thought it was a, a great, a beautiful expression, but they said, we want to pay for four families, four couples to go to the marriage luncheon, but they didn't know how to do it. Uh, and that's how you do it. You just give online. You can designate that or you can give in the giving station if you'd like, but we don't pass buckets and that sort of thing now. We just want to, we're really... Just in the beginning of that transition, there was a conversation we had as a group of elders and just said, you know, this should be about more maturity in worship than it is talking somebody out of their rent that week. It's all of this stuff we're talking about. It's about going to a deeper place in our pursuit of God. Who wants to go there? Anybody just want to go there? What does it take to surrender our hearts more readily to King Jesus? Lord, may we all learn to live our lives in light of eternity. Lord, may we learn to love the people around us in light of eternity. May we express a greater revelation of patience as we grow in the understanding that love is patient 
in light of eternity. May we grow in kindness as we understand that love is patient, love is kind in light of eternity. May eternity shape us more than we've allowed it to shape us in times past as we just learn to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and we realize the mission of Jesus cost him his life because the mission of Jesus was about something so much more than this life. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you for that example. Come on, let's do just in your own way. Would you just surrender to the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this King who came, He lived, He died, but He's risen from the grave. Salvation is something that just happens in a moment. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth. Come on, if you believe... Would you just confess with your mouth right now and say amen? <laughs> and then out of salvation, then we learn to live our lives in a posture of lordship. Lord, with all of our energy, with all of our creativity, with all of our resources, with all of our relationships, we just say, would you live through our surrender? Would you have your way within us? Do a work within us that's so powerful it actually transforms the world around us everywhere we go. I pray that you'd help us. I just want, I want to challenge you to know there's something really transacting right now. Just as I'm praying, I just feel there's something really transacting. Just open your heart wide. Or would you help us have hearts that are pure before you in such a way that when people look into our eyes, they see something that people saw when they looked into the eyes of Jesus. They won't understand it, but they'll thirst for it. When we interact with people, there'll be something deeply eternal awakened within them a longing for something more than maybe anything they've ever known before teach us Lord to be those kind of people outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. We give you glory and honor King Jesus worthy of our praise. Worthy of our praise.
just before we go into a time of uh, just singing, you know, we like to just take the things that God's stirring within us and just give them back to Him in worship before we close and are, are dismissed. Before we do that, I just sense um, some of us maybe are seeing right now something that the Lord is revealing that He's asking us to lay down at the foot of the cross. And you have to realize sometimes there are things that we hang on to that keeps us from moving ahead, moving forward in Him. So whatever that is, I'm going to bring a little more definition to it. Everybody's okay. Just be attentive to him in this. I'm actually going to talk about this in our marriage enrichment. You will never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. You'll never love others the way you're supposed to love others if you keep rehearsing your failures, your mistakes. I think there's some things some of us need to lay down at the foot of the cross. Maybe some habits and patterns. Maybe it's just a deficiency that we've embraced and danced with and courted because of maybe mistakes we've made. Would you just, if there's something you're laying at the foot of the cross, just lift both your hands in surrender. We just say, Lord, we don't want anything to be a point of leverage that the enemy could ever use against us. So we come before you and we say everything that we are as best we know how, Lord, we surrender at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you set the example of laying everything down this world had to offer. very intentionally and sacrificially fulfill the eternal assignment from the Father in heaven. Teach us, Lord, to walk in that pattern, following that example in Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to ask our prayer teams if you'll come. They'll be standing under these screens. Sometimes um, it's a beautiful thing just to come to the altars and just find your place. Some people during worship are coming up and just kneeling before the Lord alone. Sometimes it's a beautiful thing to come over and, and just pray a prayer of agreement with people that are prayed up and believing. Sometimes it's a beautiful thing to go back and find the communion that's here every single week and just celebrate and declare, Lord, your broken body, your shed blood. Whatever it may look like for you uh, today, could we just take a few moments posture our hearts in a place of surrender and just give back to him a little bit of what he stirred within us as a result of our coming together.